No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in Him is mine. That's His promise to you. No one can take that away from you. Alive in Him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine, and therefore, bold I approach the eternal throne. It's not my own boldness. It's boldness in who Christ is and what He's done for me. So I stand bold in Him and claim the crown through Christ my own. Let's pray. Yes, Lord, our Heavenly Father, these eternal truths are majestic. And yet, Lord, when life comes against us during the week, we tend to forget these things. Forgive us, we pray. But, Lord, through Your Spirit, impress these truths on us so that they will reach us when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. May we know that we stand in Christ and He is God before Your throne. And so we stand in God. What shall separate us from the love of God? Help us, we pray. Lord, we have to admit before you that this week, with all its comings and goings, we haven't thought about you as we should. We've got wrapped up in life. And when we get opportunities, we think about you. But Lord, thank you that sometimes you make your presence so felt in our hearts that even while we are driving our cars and going about our business lives and whatever else you've put in front of us, that Even there you are with us and your presence overwhelms us. And we know the presence of Almighty God. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your great gift to us. But Lord, help us to keep ourselves in your word daily. To read your word daily. To meditate on the thoughts we find there to impress those truths on on our souls so that you continue to do your work in us. And Lord, if we do that, thank you that you've promised that you will not just keep us, but that you will also use us to show others that Jesus Christ is alive. Thank you, Lord, for the reality of your salvation. Lord, open our hearts now And keep away distractions from us as we look to your word. As we open its pages, may we know that this is the word of the living God to us. A living word. Use it, we pray. And may we be changed. Amen. Before we turn to our passage that we are studying in Revelation, I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. And we're going to be reading... Verses 3 to 14 together. And this is to give us a framework around what we are looking at this morning as well. So Matthew chapter 24, verse 3 to 14. I'm so grateful to the Lord that last week we could be in heaven and we could describe the joys of heaven and the angels singing, the myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands 
and then the earth joining in and all creation because we're going to need that this week. Scripture brings us not just the joys of sugar when we need it, but it brings us the necessity of cod liver oil. Remember those days? I didn't have them, so it must be older than me. But we need both, and that's the truth of God's Word. We take it because it comes from God's Word. But there's hope even in that darkness, and we'll come to that this morning. So let's read what Jesus himself said about this whole period. Matthew chapter 24, verse 3 to 14. As Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, Lord, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumours of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Take note of that verse. But another verse. The one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. That's from Jesus himself. Now let's turn to our passage this morning, Revelation chapter 6, verse 1 to 8. Revelation chapter 6, verse 1 to 8. If you've just joined us, if you're a visitor here, We've started our studies in the book of Revelation and it's been exciting just to unfold what this book has for us. It's supposed to be a blessing to the church and yet we're so scared to look at it. But let's see what the Lord says. Revelation chapter 6 and we're going to get to the first four of these seals this morning, verses 1 to 8. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come! And I looked and behold the white horse and its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal I heard the second living creature say, Come! And out came another horse bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that men should slay one another and he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come! And I looked and behold, a black horse and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures say, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and wine. 
When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. And that's all we're going to do this morning. I don't even want to read the rest. As children crowded into the front row of a simple auditorium adorned with rose petals, older women filled the rows around them and other family members packed the sides and the back. The congregation swayed as they sang a chorus, their faces reflecting intense devotion. It was Easter Sunday in Hama, Syria. Suddenly the sound of a nearby explosion caused some to flinch. A few let out an involuntary shriek, and a young man dashed out of the sanctuary to see what had been hit. But the hymn continued. Tears streamed down the cheeks of young girls in the front of the auditorium as believers passionately sang, We will not fear because God will be with us. August 2017, Voice of the Martyrs. I'll be coming back to that. You see, the accusation comes against Christians today and you've probably heard it if you've tried to give your testimony. Get real. Get into the real world. You Christians don't know what the real world is. And yet this passage this morning describes the real world in the light of a far greater reality. The reality of how God sees the world and all who live on it. And Satan's constant attempts to discourage believers and to get them to walk away from their faith. That's the reality. It's God's reality. And in the heavenly scene we've been considering, the Lamb has stepped forward and has taken that scroll from the right hand of God. We know that the scroll is God's plans for the world. And as He starts opening these seals, God's plans for the world are revealed. Not just the good things, but also His judgment over unbelief. And as these things are revealed to John, they are revealed to him in a series of pictures. And you need to remember this. These are pictures that are created for us of a reality that is being described. And so as we see these pictures come to light, as the Lamb breaks the seven seals, let's remember who's in charge. It's God. And as these first four seals are broken, we see four four horsemen and their actions described to us. And if you read this and you're in good Jewish education behind you, you would know that this is very similar to Zechariah's prophecy. You can go and read about it. Zechariah chapter 6. And I'll put the reference up there for you where four Chariots come out and also the same colours of horses described and they come out from the mountain of bronze which is God's judgement on the earth and they go out into the world. So this is a direct picture pointing to Zechariah. We've always got in Revelation that constant back and forth between the Old Testament and what is happening here. And so we have a white horse described, a horse of conquest, 
A red horse described war. A black horse described, and I'll come back to these in more detail, famine. And then a pale or an ashen horse described, and that's death itself with Hades. And these are visual pictures of Satan's attempts to keep dominion over mankind against God. But God uses these same things directly now to judge mankind. And the suffering that's unleashed comes on believer and unbeliever. However, the effect is not the same. God uses the suffering which He brings on believers, hardship, to what? To purify, to refine the faith of believers. And as a witness to unbelievers that God looks after and sustains His own. So that's the testimony that goes out into the world. And yet at the same time when His hardships come on unbelievers, God is using these as a punishment on them. And as a call to look to the living God and repent and believe. So when does it end? Anyone? When Christ returns, and we'll see this unfold. When Christ returns, and the conclusion, God is in complete control. Remember that. That's your phrase for this morning. God is in control. So let's look at these seals. The white horseman, verses 1 and 2. And you notice that uh, in the first verse, verse 1, this white horse and the rider is summoned. A voice like thunder comes from before God's throne. One of the four living creatures calls out, Come! In other words, be coming out. Literally. Divine authority giving permission for this horse to come out. Who is in control? Again, God is. Because who gives the four living beings control? God does. They are His delegates. And here comes this white horse. And you need to see the picture this morning in your head. A white horse comes out. In the first century, that would be described as victory. Because the colour white means victory, not purity in this case. Remember the games that they used to play? When the first prize winner got over that line, they would be given a white cloak. Victory. And so this horse comes out victorious. Now, you need to stay with me here. Some have said that this is a picture of Christ riding out in victory. Similar to the description in chapter 19 verse 11 where Christ sits on that great white horse with his throne. And they say that Christ rides out to conquer with the gospel. And behind him comes bloodshed and economic hardship for believers and death follow close on his heels. And that's all true, but is it for this picture? It is for chapter 19 verse 11, but is it for this picture? You see, we've got to look at what's happening here. The Lamb has come out, and who is that? Christ. And as he comes out, he opens the seals. He opens the seals of judgment. And they are seals of judgment. All four horsemen are seals of judgment. So maybe it's something else. Let's look at this. See, I believe, and many of the commentators agree, 
with this, and so I'll go with them. They say that this is rather a continuation or a repetition of the Old Testament judgment formulas, and that's a theological term for four judgments that the Lord usually brought in clumps together. Let's look at some of those, just so that you know what I'm talking about. Jeremiah chapter 15, you need to turn there with me so you can see what I'm talking about. Jeremiah chapter 15 verses 1 to 2. Look at the specific judgments that come out here. Jeremiah 15 verse 1. Then the Lord said to me, Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my heart would not turn toward this people. Send them out of my sight and let them go. And when they ask you, where shall we go? You shall say to them, thus says the Lord. Now look at these verses. Those who are for pestilence to pestilence. Those who are for sword to sword. Those who are for famine to famine. And those who are for captivity or conquest to captivity. Now those four phrases, they found all over the Old Testament. Turn again to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 6. Here's just another example. Ezekiel chapter 6, verse 11 to 12. Thus says the Lord God, Clap your hands and stamp your foot and say, Alas, because of all the evil abominations of the house of Israel, for they shall fall by the sword, by famine and by pestilence. He who is far off shall die of pestilence, and who, he who is near shall fall by the sword, and he who is left and is preserved shall die of famine. Thus I will spend my fury upon them. So there you have those terms always used by the Lord. And so they've, they've been called the Old Testament judgment formulas. They're always kind of grouped together. And so what we seem to see here is these formulae again repeated in Revelation. And so we're going to see these four things. Conquest, sword, famine, and then pestilence or death because the one leads to the other. Think of the Black Death. And these judgments are not independent or separate from each other, but they always seem to run together, parallel as part of an overall judgment that comes upon people. And so now when we look at the white horse and the rider, we see that he's similar in description to the real Christ. And there's the key. He's similar in appearance to the real Christ, but he is not the real Christ. So what is he then? This rider on a white horse, let's look at him. He carries a bow in his hand, not a sword, no arrows. And he's got a crown on his head. Now if you know the original language, and I've looked this up too, it's not a kingly crown, a diadema, but it's a stephanos. It's a crown which has been put there as a prize, like a first prize winner when they ran over the a laurel wreath. So he's got a crown in his head too, but it's a stephanos crown. It's a prize. This one has been given to him by people because he's a conqueror. And conquering is his main soul and intent. You'll see scripture when it describes him. He comes out conquering and to conquer. That's all he's about. I want to conquer. And how does he do this? He does this without arrows and without a sword. These are bloodless victories. So how does he conquer? 
He conquers, and we'll come to other passages which describe this, he conquers by a false sense of security and peace. That's how he conquers. He lulls people into thinking that all is well. And so they follow him. Later on in Revelation, we'll come to the Antichrist. The Antichrist is also described as wanting to promote this obsession with peace through conquest. And people are lulled into this false sense of security when in actual fact it's God's judgment coming down on them. You see, false security is one of Satan's best weapons. He uses it mightily today. And you'll hear phrases like, you're okay mate, all is well. That's this writer. Recognize him for who he is. You see, Jeremiah recognized it in his day and as we track through the Old Testament, he came before the Lord and he speaks about those in his day who were luring the people away by this false peace when there was really no peace at all. Jeremiah chapter 14, verses 13 to 14. We were there just now, but let's look at the previous passage. Chapter 14, verse 13 to 14. Listen to how he describes these lying or these false prophets and what they were saying. Jeremiah chapter 14 verse 13 Then I said, that's Jeremiah, Ah, Lord God, behold, the prophets say to the people, You shall not see the sword, nor shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. And the Lord said to me, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision worthless divination and the deceit of their minds. Therefore, says the Lord, concerning the prophets who prophesy in my name, although I did not send them, and who say, sword and famine shall not come upon this land. This is what the Lord says to them. By sword and famine those prophets shall be consumed. And the people to whom they prophesy shall be cast out in the streets of Jerusalem, victims of famine and sword, with none to bury them. Them their wives, their sons and their daughters, for I will pour out their evil upon them. Do you see God's judgment here? Christians in John's day experienced something like this, a peace which wasn't a peace. They were under the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Rome conquered them, but then they brought this so-called peace upon the whole of the Roman Empire. But it was forced on the people. It wasn't a real peace. And very soon the same peace was shattered when this power, this political power which was misused, was turned on the very same people. Why? Because they would not worship the emperor. And the result? Persecution. So what comes as a result of this rider riding out? Persecution. Today, we see this in our country. Consider the gradual change of laws as we've had over these many years in our country on moral issues, prostitution, marriage, abortion, euthanasia coming. What's the overall impression in New Zealand? All is well. All is well. As parties come and parties go, all is well. 
This is a conquest by stealth. This is a misuse of peace and political power. But it's actually God's judgment. We need to recognize it. Apocalypse is happening now. Do we recognize it? And please people, don't come and tell me I'm speaking party politics. I'm not. I haven't said anything about any new parties. Nothing. It works across all political parties. God's moral laws are being watered down and changed. God's judgment on us. Well, that's the first horseman. Recognize him. The second horseman is a red horseman described, a red horse rather, and a rider. Verses 3 to 4. And again, don't look over it. It's one little word, but it's really, really important. The horseman gets summoned up, summoned out, to come and ride over the world. Come, says that second of the living creatures before God's throne. And out comes this red horse, representing war. And in the Old Testament, you often got that. The colour red was associated with war and bloodshed. And out comes this horse representing war. And the rider who is on his back is given a great sword. And the literal word there is a battle sword. He's given a great sword. And he's given permission to bring war among people. Now remember they are now lulled under a false peace. He now gets permission to bring out war amongst them and to shatter this peace. And so violent slaughter becomes commonplace and man kills man, woman kills woman in the streets. In the Old Testament, God used the sword by foreign invaders as, sorry, by foreign invaders from an invading force from another country and He used that against His own people when they were disobedient to him. But he used that also as a judgment on the nations, the sword. In John's time, they experienced firsthand what a foreign invading force could do in their own country. How a foreign invading force could come in and change their culture, their way of life, their way of worshipping God. And John's followers and the rest of the persecuted church were being killed for their faith. This is this rider at work. In our time, what does that look like? See, there are those who say that these things will only happen in a future dispensation. But we are living in the last times now. God's judgment is against unbelief now. And it's active. It's increasing day by day. We see God's judgment and His punishment. This death by misuse of might and of military power is one of God's judgments on nations and people who turn their backs on Him. You only need to turn your TV on and see those horrific images which are beamed across the world now of God's judgment on people. And it's increasing in intensity. Seems to be. Maybe the media is just getting better. But the wars seem to be increasing. And the violence seems to be getting worse and worse and on a more massive scale all the time. What about our own country? If we look at the statistics of murder and violence, they're on the rise. It's this horseman. We need to recognize him. This misuse of might and military power. Think, for example, of ISIS in Syria and Christians being persecuted. And that's where this article 
came in. I want to read you another excerpt from it. Listen to this. Christians once composed nearly 10% of Syria's 17 million people. But since the beginning of civil war, they have been reduced to nearly half that number. Most are Syriac and Assyrian Christians who have held to their ancestral faith since the first century. And a small handful are evangelicals. As the self-proclaimed Islamic State or ISIS and other Islamic groups have overrun Christian villages, evangelical churches have opened their doors to welcome displaced Christians and even displaced Muslims. All churches have people coming in at all the time asking for help, a Syrian Christian has said. And so there we have this misuse of peace and political power, but it's actually God's judgment on the nations. We need to recognize that rider. And then we come to the third horseman. The black horse and its rider. And again he summons up. Come out. Be coming out, says the living being before God's throne. And out comes this black horse. And if you're Old Testamental, you need to understand that black was always associated with famine and woe. You'll find that in references. There are many, but I've listed two for you. Lamentations 4 verse 8 and Micah chapter 3 verse 6. If you can find those books quickly, look them up. But there they are. And there are many others. Use your concordance and look up. And often this black famine and woe would come as a result of war, the previous um, judgment that had come on them. But this rider was also described as, as having a pair of scales in his hand. And it's not just any old pair of scales, it's a pair of just scales. It's a pair of true scales, is the right word. We understand that, stand that as justice. But it comes from this, it has to be a true set of scales. They must weigh accurately. It's an economic scale used for trade. And then this voice comes from among the living creatures. Now we're not told if it's Christ himself, but Christ is stated as being in the midst of the living creatures and before God's throne. And so it could be him. But this voice comes from God. And this is what it says. A dry measure. Now, I'll just stop there quickly. A dry measure. You always had to measure when things were dry, otherwise you'd be weighing water as well. And that's a false measure. So, a dry measure or a quart of wheat for a denarius or a day's wages. And three quarts of barley for a denarius. What was this voice saying? This voice was predicting disastrous economic crises which would come upon John's hearers with prices for staple foods, not just normal anymore, but highly inflated, up to 16 times their normal price. Now you imagine that price increase in things in this country. We'd go under 16 times for staple food. And that's not all. It affects those luxuries, which once were just staple foods, wine and oil. Do not damage the oil and the wine. Those normal food items in Jewish life, which got used every day, but which now were being put out of reach of the normal person and only became luxuries for those who could afford it. See, the Old Testament, war and the misuse of economic power would always lead to famine. That's how people conquered countries. They starved them into submission. 
And God's judgment on the disobedience and unbelievers is this famine which comes on people. Economic hardship. In John's day, we've looked at that in some of the churches, right? Chapter 2 verse 9. Believers were struggling to survive financially. Why? It was because of their faith. They were being financially starved and persecuted. Why? Because of their refusal to compromise in their loyalty to Christ and the holy principles of living he calls Christians to. That's why. This rider. What about Christians today? You might have lost your job because of principles you stood on. I will not be dishonest in the way I do my business. And so your boss, through a process, has let you go. A direct family member of ours in South Africa experienced that. He would not let dealings be done which were underhand. And his boss let him go. And they can work it through lawyers. For his faith. I'm interested to see what happens when the Easter trading laws come in. Or when they fall away rather. Because the employers say, oh no, you don't have to worry. If you don't want to come, you don't have to. For now. But what if you say, I want to go to church because I'm a believer. Will you lose your job? You see, we need to also in this country consider the widening disparity between the rich and the poor. Not just in New Zealand, but worldwide. The homelessness which is on the increase in this country of ours. We don't have a famine in New Zealand, but there are those who have very little. And there are those who misuse the little they have. And children suffer. We need to turn to God in New Zealand. It's God's judgment at work on us too. Recognize this rider. And then we come to the fourth horse, the pale horse, verses 7 to 8. And again, he is summoned by God, come forth. And an ashen or a pale horse comes out, and I like the word over here. The original word is the word chloros, which means sickly pale or yellow green. It's a bit like going fishing with Dave Tastard in his boat. And if you haven't taken your seasick pools, you change that colour and you start feeding the fish. Anyone been in that situation or that having that interesting colour on the ferry? That's the colour of this horse, a sickly horse. And who does he represent? Who is on his back? Death himself. And following close on his heels, Hades. Death on a disastrous scale. Death, Satan's ultimate victory over people. So he thinks. And Hades, his minion, the place where the dead are kept until the day of judgment, following close on his heels, those who always go together. And praise the Lord for this, they are given a limited authority. They are only to affect a quarter of the world. So what's that all about? It's God showing death, you are not in control. I am the ultimate. I am the one who is all-powerful. I hold the keys to death and Hades. Not you. And so many were killed through the sword 
Now look at that little cluster again. Many were killed through the sword, through famine, through pestilence, and then it gets added through wild animals too. And in John's day, many believers died for their faith. They were put to the sword. They were deliberately starved by their enemies. And yes, they were torn apart by wild animals in the Roman circus. And it's not just believers that were thrown into the lions at the circus. It was unbelievers too. Political criminals. Plain street criminals. They also landed there. You see, starving animals don't discriminate. Recognize this horse, death and Hades. But thank the Lord for that truth, that death and Hades are satanic forces, but they're under the ultimate governance of the throne room of God. Who is opening these seals? That lamb who looks half dead but is standing. The one who is slain and full of blood, but full of everlasting life. Christ himself said, Revelation 1.18, and I quoted that already, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. We do not need to fear this last horse. Death has been conquered. And so there's hope in the middle of this dark picture this morning. And so as we've looked at these first seals, what has been described to us is an awe-inspiring, frightening judgment which have already commenced but which will increase in severity the closer we come to the coming again of Jesus Christ. And we still have to, rema- we still have to investigate two more seals and then the seventh. The trumpets and the bolts. And these are only the beginning of this horrific judgment which will come upon the sinful, rebellious world And they're paling to insignificance against the final judgment that God will bring upon unbelievers. And so Hebrews 10.31 rings so true. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But then also in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3, and here's the appeal of the gospel. How will we escape this terrible judgment if we neglect so great a salvation? There is hope in the darkness. And so that's where I want to come with our application. And I've got two and a half questions for you this morning. Two and a half. The first one is this. As you sit here before me, I don't know all of you. Some of you are visitors among us. Some of you have been here for years, but I can't read your hearts. Do you have a real peace or false peace in your heart? Have you been lulled into thinking you're okay with Christ? Or you can do away with Him and life will just continue? The truth that Scripture says to us this morning is there can be no real lasting peace until the Prince of Peace conquers your soul with His love, not with fear and terror with His love, and He brings you into His kingdom. And here's the half question. What will save you from God's judgments? Will you depend on your riches? Will you depend on your power? 
Will you depend on your quick thinking? Will you depend on, I've always been okay. I've always managed. That day when you stand before God and face His final judgment, what will you depend on then? You see, the rules will be very different. Because the rules of it pays to be rich won't apply. The rules of if you can think quickly, you can help yourself, won't apply. The rules of if you're powerful enough, someone will help you, won't apply. Why? Because you will be standing before the all-powerful God. Who can stand before Him? And He will judge you. And if you are not in His Son, and depending on God Himself in that situation, you will be found wanting and you will experience the full judgment of God. I am only a messenger. God's message comes from His Word. And so, the Gospel comes to you this morning. If you're not a believer yet, if you do not yet trust Jesus Christ, then I plead with you this morning, get real. Come before Jesus Christ. Bow your knee. There is still time. You've still got breath in your body. Jesus Christ hasn't yet returned. There is still time to confess His name as we sang this morning and to put your faith in Him and you will receive His saving love, His grace in your life. But come to Him. Depend on Jesus alone. Nothing else will help you on that day. No one else will be able to help you. Only Him. And then my second question. To you believers, and there are many of you here this morning, and praise God for you as well. Who is in control? Yes, we've read this dark passage, but who is in control and in your everyday life? As we see these seals opened and broken, the Lamb is the one opening the seals. And therefore, as you experience the joys and the tribulations, the trials that come your way, because you will experience both. And as time goes, you will experience more of both. God has promised us that. Remember, who is breaking the seals? It's the Lamb. He is the Almighty One, the All-Seeing One. He's got the horns on His head of Almighty Power. He's got all those eyes on His face. He's the All-Seeing God. His Spirit is with you. This is the Lamb of God. God Himself is with you. Don't lose courage. Persevere in the walk. God will be there in the situation and through the situation for you and He will bring you through the valley of the shadow of death. And even if you die in that process, He will be there for you when you open your eyes in life. He will be there for you. Jesus Christ, like Stephen, will be there. And He will say, come into my kingdom. Don't fear the circumstances of life. Don't fear death. Jesus is in control. He is God. I want to read you the last section to do with this in this report from the Syrian Christians. This is what they say. 
And these are people in real persecution, not like you and I. They say this, If Christ suffered for our sake, and we look to Christ for our example, it is worth our life, so that others can gain life in Christ. And so they suffer willingly for Christ. How much do we do? Who aren't even suffering? Syrian Christians undoubtedly experience a natural fear amidst their violent surroundings. But they rest in the confidence that their lives belong to God. And as with Christians in Hama who sang, We will not fear. Many Syrian Christians display a bold faith while continuing to worship God, to help others and share the gospel with their neighbours. They do that under persecution. What do they do? They worship God under persecution. They help others under persecution. And they share the gospel with others under persecution, knowing very well it will bring them more. Do we worship God? Do we take the gospel to others? Do we help others while life is good for us? I want us to stand. It's a little different way of ending, but stand. We're going to affirm our faith. We're going to read scripture which will bolster your soul for this coming week against the truth that we've just seen. Look at this. Romans chapter 8, verse 35 to 39. And we're going to read it together, so that means audibly. Let's do it together, alright? Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean He no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the Scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell, can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above, or in the earth below, indeed, nothing in all creation, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter 8. God's truth to you and I. Let's remain standing and pray. Lord, we're overcome by the power of this truth which can sustain us as we live our everyday lives this week. Lord, strengthen us for the fight. Strengthen us when life comes against us. Give us the joy of the Lord so that we will sing your praises and we will lift high the name of Jesus even though life crashes in on us. Why? Because we know who controls that life. And it is you. And you know what we are going through. 
And so, Lord, strengthen us, we pray. We ask this in the almighty name of Jesus Christ, the one who brings salvation to all who will come to him. Amen.